The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Well, last week uh, we kicked off another series on what we called Ministry Distinctives of Grace Bible Fellowship. And the first one that we did last week was looking at selected scriptures on uh, expository preaching, what the Bible had to say about that. So we're going to be doing that for a few weeks, probably till about mid-June. Uh, Ministry Distinctives of Grace Bible Fellowship. So we're going to look at selected scriptures today as we move on to our next topic. Every church is known for something. And those of you who are Christians and have gone to several church churches over the years, no doubt can identify with that. That every church is known for something. Each local fellowship has a reputation. In New Testament times, the church of Ephesus was known for sound doctrine. Smyrna was known for suffering. Corinth was known for spiritual gifts. Laodicea was known for compromise. I wonder what GBF is known for. I always ask uh, that question to people who join the church, new people. They're new, they're fresh, new perspective, fresh perspective. Before they join, sign on the dotted line, I say, so what... What's, a dis- what's something that stands out about GBF uh, in your mind? Well, if you had to bring it down to a phrase or a word. And I get different answers. And uh, always crossing my fingers, boy, hopefully it's not a negative one. Why are you joining the church then? But anyway, so far they've all been positive. That's why they're joining the church. Um, but today, churches are known for being purpose-driven, seeker-sensitive, emerging, personality-driven, Felt needs driven, consumer driven, program driven, contemporary, or traditional. And other examples abound. What a church is known for is determined by its distinctives. The distinctives of a church include the sum total of its theology, philosophy of ministry, methodology, that's how they do things, and purpose of existence. Ministry distinctives are usually distilled down into core values and are the talking points that characterize a church. Grace Bible Fellowship, or GBF, values the Bible as the inerrant, sufficient, authoritative, perspicuous, relevant, living Word of God. At GBF, we are committed to letting the Bible determine what our distinctives should be. So when I decided to make up distinctives of GBF, I didn't say, hmm, let me make up some uh, distinctives. I just went to the Bible and said, what are the distinctives of the early church and the ministry of the apostles and Jesus' priorities, and let's mimic those. So uh, I wasn't trying to be original. We're committed to the Bible. We are committed to letting the Bible determine what our distinctives should be, and as a result, we are committed to doing biblical ministry because we make a priority of what God wants us to do, not what man wants us to do. GBF wants to be known for doing, quote, the ministry of the word, as it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 4. That means we are fixed on being biblically driven as opposed to all those other drivens. That's our goal. We don't do it perfectly. It's our desire. We ask for God's help and his grace and his leading. We want the Bible to guide every area of ministry. And and so that's at least our philosophy behind the 20 distinctives that I came up with is we wanted all of them to flow out of Scripture and to be biblically driven. And that's just a preface I wrote one year after we existed. I wrote that preface a year after we had already published our distinctives that I came up with. 
And the reason I wrote it a year after is because some people would look at, at the distinctives thing and say, well, what are distinctives or what's this for? Or what's the purpose of this? So I thought it was important to provide an introduction as to why we need to have distinctives. It's, it's really just making it user-friendly and educating people so that they don't have to waste their time if they're coming to check out what's GBF all about. Is there just you know a bunch of bullet points I can look at and what, are, what characterizes them? What do they stand for? Sometimes you go to a church website and you're just going through page after page after page after trying to figure out what does this church really believe? Uh, we don't need to hide anything. So we want it all right up front. Uh, what you see is what you get. And hopefully we're getting it from the Bible. And that brings us to the importance of distinctives. And because our church is going on five years old, we got a lot of newer people who haven't been here in the first year or two. And we actually taught on and explained what our distinctives were and what they stood for. So we need to reiterate those. And so that's what we're doing the next few weeks. So last week was the distinctive uh, GBF is committed to expository preaching, which we summarized. It just simply means expository exposes the truth of Scripture. That's it. Look at the Bible, every word, every phrase, every verse, every paragraph, every chapter, every book. The goal is to expose what it says, what it means, not what I think it means or what I want it to mean. Exposing Scripture. And then second distinctive I want to highlight is one we we called it every member accountable to the body. That's a distinctive of our 20. Every member accountable to the body of Christ. And with the corollary truth, really, if you're talking about every member accountable to the body, umbrella realities, you're talking about church membership. That has got to come first and be included in that. We think that every person that comes to GBF needs to be accountable to the people at GBF and the leadership at GBF. And really what it comes down to is this discussion about church membership. And that can get, you know, that's debated in the church. Even today, there are churches and people who think and Christians that uh, membership is not in the Bible, and there are others who do believe it's in the Bible. So it's an interesting debate. When I wrote that book in 2006, uh, one of the chapters, it's called Join! Exclamation point. I argue the entire chapter that from Scripture, I believe there needs to be local church membership. And I give my reasons why based on Scripture. And I've even talked and dialogued with people who read that chapter and who just, a few people who don't believe in church membership and I Welcome their opinion, and well, so what was it about it that you don't believe, or why don't you believe in church membership, and those kind of things. So we're going to talk about those. Those that uh, those that feedback and responses were very helpful for me uh, to refine my thinking and try to understand where people are coming from, and, and improve my perspective from a biblical vantage point. So that was a great conversation. Most Christians I talk to actually believe there is warrant for church membership, local church membership. Uh, the previous five churches that I served in all had a formal membership process. Three of those were consistent with it and actually implemented. Two of those were very loosey-goosey and flaky, and it, it really didn't mean anything. It's like, I don't even think you should have a membership process because you're not really holding to it. As a matter of fact, it's confusing people more than it's helping people. It's confusing leadership, so probably shouldn't have it. Then there are other well-known denominations and respected pastors who don't believe in church membership, never have uh Calvary Chapel is probably the most well-known, famous, and respected. They don't have local church membership by way of a formal process. If you just start coming and showing up and give money in the offering, that kind of thing, then you're considered, and you're a Christian, then you're a member. And the same in our area would be PBC, Peninsula Bible Church, same kind of position. So they don't uh, hold to any kind of formal church membership. And I know that there have been people who have come to GBF from different churches, some who have joined, who never were at a church that taught that you had to become a formal member, so it was kind of a new thing. Understand that. 
And there are others who uh, joined a previous church and weren't in a hurry to join this church because they had a bad experience at previous churches. I also understand that as well. So uh, we're willing to be patient. But what I want to do is just a survey on this whole idea of every member needs to be accountable to the body of Christ. And had a couple healthy discussions with some believers who read my book, gave me feedback, and concluded that uh, the New Testament does not teach formal church membership. So we actually had a lot of dialogue on that. And well, and well, why do you say that? The number one reason was the word church membership isn't in the New Testament. It's like, hmm, okay. Sounds like a convincing argument, doesn't it? Then my follow-up question would be, of course, well, is the word Trinity in the New Testament? Gotcha. No. Do you believe in the Trinity? No. Heretic? No. Yeah, of course I do. So, well, why do you believe in the Trinity, but the word Trinity isn't in there? And then the answer is, well, you know, the principles and the truths regarding the doctrine of the Trinity are there, and Trinity is a convenient word to summarize all the teachings from Genesis to Revelation that the Trinity is a true doctrine of the Bible. And I'd say, well, the same is true about... When I say church membership, that's just a convenient adage, word, phrase, whatever, moniker to help me out to summarize uh, that I believe there are many principles in Scripture that teach the concept of local membership in the local church, and that's how I'm just summarizing it. So let's just pretend, okay, so apparently this is a semantical issue, and the word membership just kind of makes you uncomfortable for whatever reason, because it's too, you had a bad membership at the YMCA and whatever. Membership, membership, all the things you attach to it. So get the word membership out of your mind. And then I started grilling them with questions like, so would you agree that the New Testament teaches that you need to be committed to the local church? Yeah. And would, does the New Testament say that you have to be faithful to your local assembly? Yeah. Does the Bible say in command and expect you to be serving regularly among a local body of Christians? Yeah. Do you have to be accountable to them in the leadership? Yeah, I suppose so. Do you have to be regular and consistent in attendance, showing up and serving? Mm, yeah. Do you have to be submissive? Oh, yeah, I guess I have to. Would you say that there's an interdependent expectation of relationship and mutual reciprocal relationships and you have to know the people and be involved in their lives and actually rub shoulders with other human beings in the local church on a regular basis? Yeah. And you need, so you need to be involved in the local church on a regular basis? Mm, yeah. Okay, well, you just agreed to what I understand to be local church membership. That's exactly what I mean. That's point number one of the four points I want to highlight today. And point number one is the New Testament requires Christians to be local church members. And the way I define that is all those things that are expectations of every Christian in a local church. Number one is every Christian needs to be committed. They need to be committed to a local assembly of believers they need to be faithful to a local church, serving accountable, regular. So if you're hit and miss once every three months, five months, whatever. I, uh, it was about three weeks ago, Donald Trump was considering running for president. And so I was watching an interview and uh, he said he's a Christian. And he, his proof was that he goes to church at least twice a year on Christmas and Easter. It's like, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not kidding. That was his evidence. I go to church at least twice a year on Christmas and Easter. I'm a Christian. Anyway, so you've got to be a little more regular than Donald Trump. Uh, he probably wouldn't be a member of our church. Uh, consistent. Consistent. Ooh, submissive. Ouch. That's a scary word. The S word. 
interdependent and involved in the local church. Boy, you put all those together, and I think you're talking about local church membership. By the way, when the word church is used, ecclesia in the New Testament, most of the time it's referring to a local church, a local, an identifiable, finite local church. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul to the church at Philippi. Actually, it was Paul to the elders and deacons and the saints at Philippi. So very specific. The local church in Philippi with specific identifiable members, with a specific limited identifiable leadership composed of elders and deacons. Philippians 1 verse 1. So ecclesia, the word for church in the New Testament, primarily refers to the local church. The local church. Paul, to the Corinthian church. On and on it goes. Uh, and then maybe a second usage of ecclesia, the word church, would be the general, generic understanding of the church body of all saints of all time that God will save. The big picture. Dead saints and living saints. Like in the book of Acts where it says that Jesus shed his blood for the church. That's not the local church only. That's saints of all time. So very important to keep that in mind. I did want to read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Uh, great. Verse 24 and 25. Uh, by the way, in, in the adult Sunday school class, Scott Barney's going through the book of Hebrews. He's now in chapter 2. So I'd encourage you to be a part of that if you're free during the Sunday school hour. Great study. Very difficult and also neglected book. So in Hebrews chapter 10, this talks, I think this is a, a tr- local church membership verse. Uh, Paul's talking to believers. He's talking to, I'm uh, not Paul, whoever wrote Hebrews. I said Paul because one of my professors at the Master's College said Paul did, and we know he didn't. But anyway, um, so whoever this guy was, friend of an associate of Paul, talking to a local church, verse 23 of Hebrews 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope as Christians without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We need to be faithful Christians and persevere, verse 24. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Uh, that's actually what we're, one of the things we're supposed to do. We come to church and gather first to worship God, John 4. God is seeking worshipers. Second thing we do when we gather together as the body of Christ on the Lord's Day on Sunday or any gathering we have as the church is verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another, encourage one another to love and good deeds as we interact and interface with each other in an independent kind of way. So what in modern day vernacular, Paul or the Hebrews author is saying, go to church, go to church. Do not ditch church. Do not skip church. Do not be hit and miss. Do not neglect it. Make it a priority. Go to church. Why? Because you're supposed to be doing that because the, the body needs you and you need the body to edify one another. That's God's plan. It's His design. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds in the context of corporate fellowship in your local church. Verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together or getting together of uh, as a body of Christ, as is the habit of some. He's saying some got in the habit of ditching church. Don't do that, Christian. That's what that verse is talking about. Don't forsake getting together. You're assembling together as is the habit of some. And you can get in the habit of not going to church. We can get in the habit of doing anything that's bad. But rather encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Church needs to be a priority. And as time goes by, church needs to be more and more of a priority. And by church, I don't mean building. I mean people, the gathering of God's people, the saints primarily in the local church. Great verse. Here's a question for you in light of point number one. 
The Bible mandates that every Christian be committed, faithful, serving, accountable, regular, consistent, submissive, interdependent, involved in the local church, and also all those one another's that are commands for every Christian. Serve one another, bear one another's burdens, love one another. All the one another's have to be fulfilled in the context of corporate interaction and worship primarily among God's people, and that includes at church. Question, are you committed, consistent, and serving? That's the question that you have to answer in your own heart. Are you committed to your own local church? Are you consistent in attendance, faithfulness, service, prayer for, interaction, attendance in your local church? And are you serving in your local church? And we're going to get to that either next week or in two weeks. So just a good practical question. Let's go on to number two regarding every member accountable of the body of Christ. I always share these two verses with people who join our church. Well, when I ask them about membership, here's why we have a membership policy. We, we believe in membership. We have a formal, systematic, deliberate, we hope, biblical process of local church membership. And there is a process to join the church. We trust that it is based on biblical principles. Really, it's based on only two verses or two passages. Uh, Hebrews 13, this one, and the other one we're going to look at in a second, 1 Peter 5. This is the undergirding or the warrant for church membership. Before I get to Hebrews 13, I do want us to look, if you got your Bible, look at Luke 15. Luke 15. So by God's design, God wanted His leadership in the Lord. And there is formal leadership. According to 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5, Acts chapter 20, a church needs to have formal, called, qualified, trained leadership at the helm. What the New Testament calls pastors, shepherds, elders, overseers, presbyters, bishops, they, they're all the same thing. If you got a church and they don't have pastors, then you don't have a church. You got a church with only deacons, you don't have a church by definition. Because God said He knows what His leadership is. It starts with the shepherds. So the word pastor is the exact same Greek word as shepherd. It's the same word. Jesus was a shepherd. Jesus trained the apostles to be shepherds. Jesus trained His apostles to be pastors of the local church in Jerusalem. Jesus was the master shepherd and pastor. And so here's Jesus talking about being a pastor, the role of a pastor, the role of a shepherd in uh, Luke 15, verses 4 through 6. Listen carefully. So he, he says, he tells this parable, verse 4, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine sheep in the open pasture, and he goes after the one sheep that he lost until he finds it? So he's talking about the, the role and the responsibility of a pastor, of a shepherd, of an elder. There's several lessons here. So... The shepherd, the pastor, the elder, he knows how many sheep he has. He knows when one is missing. And there's a sense of ownership there and personal relationship because he knows that one. Okay, I know I've got a hundred. I know all of their names. I know their condition. One is missing. He is not here. She is not here. I will go get it. Implying that I know that person. And I also think that person is valuable. I own that person. That person is part of the family. These are all the implications and Jesus' parable here of what it means to be a shepherd or a pastor. There's an identifiable, finite group of people. Verse 5, And when he has found it, the lost one, he lays it on his shoulders. See what care the shepherd has for the sheep. Rejoicing! Personal investment, time and energy, in the relationship with that person. Verse 6, 
And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And they are rejoicing. So he's using a parable. He's using real sheep as a metaphor, talking about people. And he's using the role of a pastor as an example. And Jesus was a pastor. He was a shepherd. And he knew that the church would be run by or led by and served by pastors. And this needs to be the attitude of a pastor. A man of God who is an elder in the church needs to have a shepherd's heart as Jesus reflects here. But my whole point is there's an identifiable, finite group of people that the pastor actually knows who are, that he's responsible for. It's going to play in 1 Peter chapter 5 and also Hebrews 13. So let's go back to Hebrews 13. And actually I printed it out there for you. Here's what it says. Uh, point number two is every Christian, every Christian, true born-again Christian, is supposed to have local pastors. Did you know that? Every Christian. Is supposed to have local pastors. So, based on the Bible, you should be able to go to any Christian and say you meet them and you say, well, who's your pastor? Or who are your elders? And they should, here are my pastors, here are my elders. Their names are this, this, and this. Every Christian is supposed to have local pastors. Notice the plurality of elders or pastors. Because that's by God's design. The word elder in the New Testament is always used in the plural with respect to the local church. There's always supposed to be a plurality. It's not a one-man show. Every Christian is supposed to have local pastors that they can identify and be accountable to because that's what this verse says in Hebrews 13.17. Clear as day. Hebrews 13.17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. This is huge, the implications here. I love this verse because it's so practical because it's really my job description. It helps me, Sam, Tim, Scott... Pastors all over the world to know what they're supposed to do and what the confines and parameters of their responsibilities before God are. So let's just take it phrase by phrase. Uh, obey your leaders. First question is, who are your leaders? Obey the second word. Your leaders, your personal So clearly you should be able to identify who your leaders are and your pastors. That's why I asked the question, who is your pastor? Who is your leader? Who are your elders? I, I, I do that here at this church. We are not in a hurry for anybody to join GBF and become a member. We we believe that is the responsibility of the Spirit of God, 100%. We're not into manipulation here and, and padding the numbers. We only want people here that God wants to be here. We only want people to join that God wants to join. We're not going to force that issue. We, we never do that. We are never coercive, at least to my knowledge, we haven't been. As a matter of fact, I'm probably too passive in that regard. Who are your leaders? But I will uh, occasionally, if somebody's been here a really long time, I'll ask them point blank. So when I'm just curious, or somebody that comes like once a month for a long period of time to our church, and then I'll, I'll talk to them, and then I'll get to that question eventually. So I'm just curious, when you go to other places and stuff and around and travel or talk to your when they ask you, so what church do you go to, what do you tell them? Oh, I, I say GBF. I say, oh, that's good to know. And then when they ask you, well, if they ask you, who's your pastor, what do you tell them? And they will say, well, I tell them you. And I'm like, whoa, I'm shocked. I'm glad you told me that because I didn't know that. I didn't know I was your pastor. So I am really glad you told me because, whoa, that is a huge responsibility on my shoulders. And to think that I didn't know I was accountable before to God for you is a frightening prospect for me. So thank you for telling me. Because I don't want to be responsible and accountable for anybody and neither do any of our elders. 
people who are not our sheep. And if we are responsible for somebody and we aren't aware of it, we need to know because we have to give account to God. Who are your leaders? you got to be able to answer that question. Hopefully your leaders uh, will be informed and know that uh, they, you are being identified as their leader. So that's huge. Obey your leaders. Then, uh, So who are your leaders? Then the next question, uh, leaders, there is synonymous for who are your pastors, who are your elders, who are your overseers in your local church. That's what the context is. That's what it's talking about. Who are your pastors or elders? And then that word obey, the first word obey, here's the command. That means listen to them, literally hear them, which means do what they say. Do what they say. In light of scripture, not do what they say in every area of life. It's do what they say in light of scripture and what uh, God calls them to tell you to do. So it's not obey them in everything, but it's hear them, listen to them. And that's what we expect of our members. Our, our members need to hear us and listen to us and do what we tell them. And they know that joining the church, we really haven't had much of a problem in five years with our members about following this, hearing us, listening to us. That's what it means. So do what they say or hear them out. And then it goes on. Obey your leaders, obey your pastors, obey your elders, and submit to them. That's a military term. It means get in line. Fall in. Get in line. Get Literally get under them. Get under their authority. That's actually intended by God to be a blessing. Get under their authority is supposed to be a blanket of protection, not of manipulation. Or authoritarianism. It's supposed to be a good thing. Submit to them. Why? Well, I don't want to. Why not? Because they're manipulative and abusive. And well, wow, why are you going to that church? That's kind of stupid. Go to another church. Find pastors and elders that aren't that way. Find godly men. So this is really the question of why. Why should I submit to and obey my pastor and elders? Well, it gives the reason right here, several reasons why you should. You don't just do it in a vacuum or blind obedience, submitting to a cult leader. You should be submitting and listening because they keep watch over your soul. They take it personal and they know their job. That's that's my job. I, I believe this. I am thinking about my church pretty much seven days a week. And when I am not asleep, pretty much all day long. About a hundred members, adults. What's going on in their life? How are they doing? Praying for them, trying to help them. Asking God to, to be merciful to them non-stop. Because we care about you. We watch over your soul. And the word for soul is very important because that limits our job description. We're not responsible for every area of your life. We're responsible primarily for your soul, your spiritual condition. That's what we give priority to. One of our elders put it this way. We are involved in the spiritual ministry of your life. The spiritual elements and components, what does that mean? Well, uh, the, the apostle said it in Acts 6-4, that uh, we, are, we need to be given as elders, pastors, and leaders to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Prayer and the ministry of the Word. Praying for our members, constantly praying with them, encouraging them to pray, and also the ministry of the Word. We, we care about your soul, which means we care about what you think, what you take in. What you absorb and take in and believe will dictate everything in your life. Your do- the doctrine that you believe in, that you take in, that you uh, submit to will affect how you think. It will affect your attitudes. It will affect your actions. It will affect your pocketbook. It will affect everything in your life. That is a priority, what you think. Hence, the priority of a pastor needs to be on what the people are taught, feeding them and also protecting them. 
from dangerous truths that are being taught. So that's primarily what it means, the soul, it's spiritual ministry, the truth of the Word of God, proper doctrine, that's the mind of God being revealed to humanity that affects them on a practical level and also prayer. And that's what we are committed to. That's the role of a pastor. That's what we need to be doing. The ministry of the soul. So I am not a social, just so you know, clear the air, I am not a social worker. I'm not a soup kitchen manager. I'd be pretty disorganized at it as anyway. Be trying to eat the soup while I'm supposed to be working. Uh, I'm not a program director. I'm not an events coordinator. I am not a philanthropist. All kinds of these expectations that come from the culture that are foisted upon what a pastor is supposed to do ain't going to do it. It's not in the Bible. So why should you submit to and obey your elders and pastors? Well, hopefully if you've got godly called pastors, they're keeping watch over your soul. Not only that, it says they have to give an account before God Almighty for your soul. Can you imagine? Stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, K. McManus, and then I don't know if God or Jesus is going to have a list of every single one of our members that I was responsible for, but probably. Were you faithful? Did you give attention to? Did you know this person was your, your, one of your sheep? How did you do? How did you guys do? Were you faithful? It's the highest accountability. So it's great motivation on our part to want to know who our members are. We have to give an account before God for every one of our members, our sheep that have been entrusted to our care. Wow. And then it goes on. Here's another command. Let your pastors, let your elders do their job with joy. I've been in pastoral ministry going on 20 years now. I, I love it. The longer I do it, the more I love it. There were times it was very hard. Uh, at this point, uh, I love it. It's hard. It's filled with trials, uh, all that stuff. There's satanic opposition, et cetera, et cetera. But bottom line, I, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. Whoever wrote this, they know humanity. Members can upset the leadership. Members can sin against the leadership. Members can be divisive. It can create havoc in the church. It's all over. That's why Paul wrote 13 epistles to straighten out all the problems in every single church that he planted and pastored. Because every church is made of sinners who walk with feet of clay. So the members, the onus is on them to preserve joy and unity in the local church. And their goal, one of their goals, should be to give their pastors joy in the ministry. Not grief. So in five years, we've, we've been... Blessed by God. We haven't had a whole lot of grief from our members. We've got some grief from non-members, but that's okay. They're not members. But not a whole lot of grief from members. That has been a blessing. That has been a blessing. And I think it's by God's design. There are, there are problems and troubles. There has been grief, but it hasn't been ongoing. It hasn't been the dominant reality. Boy, but if you do give your elders and your pastors grief, this would be unprofitable for you. You know what? We're not the only ones that have to give account to God someday as the elders. It says right here, you do. Every sheep has to give account to God for how they treated their local church and their pastors and the elders. And, and God is a perfect judge. He's a righteous judge. So we will leave the judgment to Him. So that's a great verse. That's what it means. Every Christian is supposed to have local pastors that they can identify and to whom they are accountable. Next question in light of that is, who is your pastor? Who are your elders? Can you name them? And number three, local church elders are to know and serve every one of their sheep. Local church elders are to know and serve every single one of their sheep. Stated that way, you know that the uh, 
the struggle and the desire for us as elders then. Okay, we got 200 people that come on a Sunday. We've got four elders. Houston, we have a problem. More of them than us. We have got to identify these people. Who are they? Which ones are ours? Who are we accountable for? Who do we give priority to based on Scripture? So the local church elders are to know and serve every one of their sheep. Let's go ahead and look. I didn't write the whole thing, but we need to look at the whole context of First Peter 5, verses 1 through 3 on this point. So when you're talking about membership, first uh, Hebrews 13 and First Peter 5 actually are a beautiful balance to one another. They're two sides of the same coin. Because in Hebrews 13, those are the imperatives or commands given to the sheep. And then 1 Peter 5 are the commands given to the elders. And they are to be taken together. So 1 Peter 5 is directed to me and to our elders. Uh, and here's what Peter said, starting at verse 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you. So this is a command from Peter the Apostle. Every elder at every church is obligated by this command. No exception. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. Peter was not just an apostle. He was also a pastor and an elder of a local church. He was one of the pastors on the elder board of the first church of Jerusalem or Jerusalem Community Church or whatever you want to call it. Big church. Mega church. He was an elder. He knew what he was talking about. It's also inspired by God as he writes this letter. I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Jesus Christ, the master shepherd, the master elder... And a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Two, here is the command to elders and pastors. Shepherd the flock of God. Pat, that's the same word for the word pastor. It's the verb form. Pastor the flock. Pastor the sheep. Shepherd the sheep. What am I supposed to do as a pastor and elder? I'm supposed to shepherd the sheep. That's the command. That is the imperative right here. This is what we do. Shepherd the flock of God. The ones that belong to God. God's sheep. Shepherd them. Wow, that's overwhelming. Well, how many? I can't, I can't pastor the whole... World God? Yeah, God knows that. So he made it easy and clear. Shepherd the flock of God. Key phrase, among you. Among you. The people among you. The members among you. The sheep that God has given you. The ones in your midst. You're not responsible for the pastors uh, two hours from here if they don't go to your church. You are not accountable and responsible for those people. If they're Christians, they need to find their own local church and own local leadership that they are accountable to. God's wisdom is that He wants to sprinkle local churches all over the world and all over cities in close proximity to one another so that every Christian has a place to go of accountability and fellowship and worship. That's why I welcome biblical church plants in this area because GBF can't pastor 7 million people by ourselves. We need to do it in conjunction with others who are also going to shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight. That's the, where the word episcopal comes from. Overseer. So that's what we do. Oversight. So we got to see the big picture. Okay, do we know all, all 105 of our members? How are they doing? Uh, what's their condition, their spiritual condition? Do they need prayer? Have we had a contact recently? Are they going to church regularly? How's their giving? Are they serving? Are they growing? Are they in discipleship? Do they have any special needs? That's literally how we need to think. That's big picture, the responsibility of an overseer in the local church, and that's what we are committed to doing at GBF. Shepherd the flock of God, pastor them on a personal level, do it from a big picture vantage point to see everything that's going on. Don't do it under compulsion. You're not forced to do it. This is a calling from God, and you do it willingly, voluntarily, knowing that you've been gifted by God to do this. 
And you do it according to the will of God. And that's the, those are the parameters according to Scripture. You go outside the lines of Scripture, you're being an abusive, unbiblical leader. According to the Scriptures, you don't do it for money. You do it with eagerness. Boy, if you don't enjoy being an elder or pastor, you shouldn't be an elder or pastor. Three, also don't lord it over the people. God's put you in a position of authority, but that's delegated authority. Don't abuse that position of delegated authority. That's authoritarianism. Don't lord it over the people. Might makes right. That's what some pastors think. That's, that's not true. That's how, that's how the Gentiles rule and lead, said Jesus. So there's a huge distinction between authority in the world, positions of authority in the secular world versus authority and leadership in the church. In the church, authority and leadership means service. You are in a position to serve. That's how you lead. You lead by example. You lead by service. Jesus showed the apostles that. You will lead like this as he got down on his hands and knees and washed their dirty feet and said, you need to do the same to my sheep. So that's the difference between leadership in the church and leadership in the world. Uh, In the church, leaders are to lead by service. Humble, bended knee. Still authority, though. Another key phrase coming up. Uh, don't lord it over the people. Verse 3, NASB says this, and they're very specific. The Greek phrase is there. Some English translations eliminate it altogether. That's, that's terrible. Verse 3, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. Very specific phrase. Shepherd those that are allotted to your charge. Shepherd those who are allotted to your care. Literally what that means is you are responsible for shepherding the very specific people that God has given to you. No less, no more. Therefore, you need membership policy because you've got to identify who your sheep are. It's the ones among you, the ones allotted to your care. No less, no more. That's why GBF believes in church membership. The ones allotted to our charge. That means the ones that God gave you that he's holding you accountable for. The end of verse 3, and as a result, prove yourselves to be examples to the flock. Verse 5, and when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, when the senior pastor, that's what that means. I love that phrase in verse 4. Because the only time the phrase senior pastor is in the Bible is one time it's right here and Jesus is the senior pastor. That's why I really don't want to take that, assume that title. Senior pastor. The position is not vacant. Jesus is the senior pastor of the church, of every true church. And when the chief pastor or the senior shepherd appears, Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So this is great. This is an encouragement. This is a compliment to Hebrews 13. Because Hebrews 13 says when Jesus comes, he's going to judge you for being a pastor. And here he's going to reward you and bless you for being a pastor. Amen to that. Local church elders are to know and serve every one of their sheep. And therefore, they've got to identify their sheep. And as a result, we have chosen church membership to be a policy by which we can identify our members knowing whom we are accountable to and who is accountable to us. And so the practical question for every single one of you is, do the church elders at GBF consider you one of their own? And literally, we have a list at our elders meetings. There's a members list and then there's a list of regular attenders and there are people who either are visitors or come here and there. And we give attention to those lists in terms of priority based on what the Bible would call us to do. And we believe in giving priority to those who are among us and allotted to our care. And they've notified us and let us know that they want to have mutual accountability with the saints at the local body at GBF as God has required. Do the church elders consider you one of their own? And then finally, number four, some Christians resist church membership.
Some Christians resist church membership. These aren't the same point. These are two different points in, in number four. Some Christians resist church membership, and then there are others. Sometimes they're synonymous. Uh, Christians who rebel against accountability. I've seen this firsthand. Some Christians resist church membership and rebel against accountability. I remember a very open, honest discussion I had before this church even started with a, a saint, dear saint, who was actually a friend of mine, who did not believe in church membership. And the church that he went to locally didn't have church membership. So we, we talked for like 30 minutes. And so I'm pointing out all these Bible verses, and well, aren't you supposed to be accountable to your leadership? And what about Hebrews 13, 17? It says, obey your leaders. I mean, who, do you, who are your leaders? Who's your how do, you, how do you know? And then it says in 1 Peter 5 that they're uh, responsible for you and shepherding you. How do you. How do they know that you are accountable to them and responsible for How do you communicate that with each And when we are finally done, at the end of 30 minutes, he fessed up and said, well, actually, I know it's, it's probably a biblical truth that uh, membership is what I need to do and it needs to be in the local church, but I'll be honest with you, I just don't want to be accountable to anybody. That was his last sentence to me, and I was like, well, I didn't have a response to that. I was like, whoa. Man, thank you for being honest. But boom, there it is. that is the issue. I just, I want my freedom. My wife and I, we like to travel and go around and just don't want to do it. Appreciate his honesty. Um, 2 Thessalonians 3.6 talks about a local church at Thessalonica, a church that Paul planted, a church that Paul pastored. He trained up leadership there, identifiable group of people. And there were people who didn't want to submit to the leadership. And uh, Paul said, okay, all right, try to deal with them, work with them, discipline them if you have to, exhort them, encourage them. They're going to resist leadership time and time again after two or three times and keep away from every brother. That's a professing Christian. Stay away from, keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life or an undisciplined life, not according to the tradition or the teaching which you have received from us. And that whole context is somebody in their midst who calls themselves a Christian and they're just living an undisciplined, unruly life, defying the leadership of the local church, doing their own thing, having their own agenda. And Paul said, you know, after two or three warnings, have nothing to do with them. Stay away from them. They're troublemakers. They will create division in your church. They're mavericks. That's not the body of Christ. That's not God's ideal. That's not mutual, reciprocal, interdependent love and service to one another. So Paul is up front. He's straight. What do you need to do with those kind of people? Keep away from them. Bad company corrupts good morals. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. John the Apostle at the end of his life who pastored many churches. He's an experienced pastor when he wrote this. Pastored 40 plus years when he wrote this. He pastored in Ephesus. And he, he saw over time, people would come, they'd join the church, they'd be a part of the assembly, they'd be accountable to the leadership, and then uh, something would come up, and then people would get mad, and they would leave, or they would defy the leadership. They're not with us anymore. And that, that happened, that's been happening for 2,000 years. That happens at every church. Well, why did they leave? What about what happened to this family? They were coming, and now they're gone. Well, it's a legitimate question, and it's case by case. It's always different. It's always personal. Some people leave for a good reason. Many people leave GBF with our blessing. We pray with them, we send them off, and we stay in contact with them. And others just kind of either, they leave silently, we, we don't even know why they left. Why did they leave? I have no idea. That's never happened with a member of GBF, but people who are regular attenders, that's happened. We just never hear from them again. And oh, Well, I guess they determined that this was not the place for them. That's fine. Amen. Uh, we trust that God is the one leading the process. And then there are times where people leave and they communicate to us why, and it could be for not a happy or a good reason. Uh, we don't like your teaching. We, we believe in women pastors. I've had that one a few times. Um, it's okay. Uh, we don't believe in women pastors because that's the Bible says otherwise. 
But I, we don't take it personal or get upset when somebody leaves over that kind of a doctrinal issue because we're not going to wrangle or compromise on just basic Bible truth. Um, so it's always case by case, always personal, and we're always seeking God's wisdom so that it can be an amicable parting if they indeed were true believers. It needs to be peaceable because we're going to end up in heaven together whether we like it or not, right, as believers. And we will be in perfect unity up in heaven, right? And then we belong to one church, the senior pastor Jesus, and we'll all say, well, I like that senior pastor better than the one I had on earth. <laughs> Amen to that. I can say the same thing. Um, so here's Pastor John, and he's probably dealing with a problem in his church at the time. As a matter of fact, he was. There were people that came. Some of them sometimes were leaders or Sunday school teachers or big shot people. Passed them off as spiritual Christians. Created a little problem. Then they left. I don't get my way. Then it's the highway. I'm out of here. And they even had a following and an allegiance and some loyalty from other faithful Christians in the congregation. And they were sad to see him go. John, what's up with that? Why did these people leave? There was a great family. They brought a lot of dessert to the fellowship meal. How come they're gone? And John says, that's the Living McManus translation. I don't want to confuse you. Uh, but here's what John actually said. Paul looks back and I mean, John looks back in hindsight and said, yeah, they were in our midst. And then he says this. They went out from us. They left our local church. Here's why. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. What he means by that, they were not like minded with us. And this is not on a superficial level. This is a pretty deep level. They didn't see eye to eye with us on scripture. They didn't see eye to eye with us on who Jesus was. They didn't see eye to eye with us on salvation and biblical authority. That ain't ever going to work. They were not really of us. For had they been of us, they would have remained with us long term. But they left us. You don't go chasing forever those you shouldn't be chasing. Yeah, you do go get that one lost sheep. But they're in a different category. Those are people that need to be in your midst. These are people who don't belong here. They left so that it would be, here it is. Well, why'd you let them leave, John? Well, John, no doubt, pursued them. Probably went through the process of church discipline, exhortation, all that stuff. And they just resisted and resisted and resisted. Okay, fine. Well, then we'll just let them leave. They're already gone. We'll just let them go. They revealed an attitude that made it clear and evident they were not of us. And so he concludes by saying, so that it would be shown that they are not all of us. Probably what he's talking about, they, they weren't Christians, as far as we know. They didn't love the truth. And I'll never forget, in light of this, uh, when we were starting the church, and we, as a group of men, and we were training to be elders, and we had six of us at the time, we decided to read through Mark Dever's book called The Deliberate Church, because it was an overview from the Bible of all the components of a church. We read it together, we discussed it, it was great. And there's one sentence in there that hit me like a lightning bolt, I will never forget, that Dever, Pastor Dever said. He said, and he was, cause he was talking about a church plant. So when you plant your church, you know, uh, people are going to be pulling at you from every direction. Do this, do that, do this, do this. Stay focused. Like a laser beam, stay focused on preaching the Word of God. Treat, uh, preach it accurately and authoritatively. And what's going to happen is the Spirit of God is going to use that, uh, that truth is going to go out. And it's going to do, do two things. Truth is going to attract truth lovers and truth is going to repel those who hate the truth. And he said, that'll be your natural mechanism. For determining who should be at your church and who doesn't. You don't need to be chasing people out on an individual basis based on personality or whatever. Just keep preaching the truth and that will repel people. And that just sunk in. I was like, wow. You know, that has made my job so much easier. Just preach the Bible. And that's exactly what it does, right? It attracts those who love truth. And 
it repels those who do not. So, and you trust the Spirit of God to do His work in that regard. Okay, we're going to close with Romans 16. Some of you, sadly, maybe naively believe that books like Leviticus and chronologies and genealogies in the Bible have no spiritual value whatsoever or no practical relevance. And so when you're reading through the Bible during the year, you just skip over those. Shame on you. Um, they're good tongue twisters for one. But in Romans 16, here's one. Here you got this list of like 25 names that you can hardly pronounce. What's, what's up with that? Uh, so in Romans 16, whoever Paul's scribe was that was writing this down for him and is a good friend of Paul is writing and, and just starts greeting everybody at the end of this letter. So Paul wrote this letter to the church, the church at Rome. Identifiable, finite group of people. And then I just love this at the end. He, he says, uh, he starts getting personal. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Beautiful name. Phoebe. And then he says this, verse 3. Greet the following people there at your church. Greet Prisca and Aquila. Verse 5. Greet Apenitus. Verse 6. Greet Mary. Greet Andronicus. Verse 8. Greet Ampliatus. Greet Urbanus. Greet Stachus. Verse 10. Greet Apellus. Verse 11. Greet Herodian and Narcissus. Verse 12. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa and Persis, the beloved, and greet Rufus and Asyncritus and Phlegon and Hermes and give Petros my love and give him a big squeeze and Hermes and Philologus and Julia and Nerusus and Olympus. I mean, so this just highlighted to me that they knew the people in their church. They could be identified, which once again makes the case for local church membership where the leaders know their sheep and the sheep know their leaders. That is God's will. With that, let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for another day to be with the saints, to worship you, and also to learn from you from your word. And thank you for the practical places in Scripture. We're not necessarily heavy-duty doctrine, but truth that is relevant and practical. God, help us to understand it. Help us to comply with it, submit to it, embrace it, and we trust that uh, you're going to continue to guide GBF to follow biblically-driven ministry by your grace and with your leading, and we commit this day to you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.